Well, welcome back to week seven. Um, this week I'll be covering design and architecture. I appreciate for the feedback from the previous weeks. I hope to have a interview podcast coming up here in a couple weeks that I'm really looking forward to and I hope it will be pretty exciting. And it looks like I'm going to be in San Francisco at the end of April for uh, a Red Hat conference. So if anybody's in San Francisco and would like to catch up, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Okay, so this week I'm going to be talking about design and architecture. Uh, this is a, a particular passion of mine, so this podcast is probably going to ramble quite a bit more than, than previous ones. I know that I said the AI one was going to ramble a little bit, but the design and architecture one is going to ramble quite a bit. I've been doing design and architecture work for probably 15 years most of that in the network infrastructure space in the last five years I've been doing it in more of the enterprise space and across business and technology. I have had some formal training. A good friend of mine, Andrew Burnoff in Australia, will give me a hard time about this, but I am a, a certified IBM architect and have been trained in the use of IBM's Teams methodology. I have taken the training courses on TOGAF methodology. I have been through most of the paperwork on SAFE methodology. I have used different methods and mediums to generate architecture documents and design documents. So I do have quite a bit of experience. Um, probably in the last five years, 15 to 20 different projects that I have either done uh, high-level enterprise architectures, architecture templates, high-level designs, high-level architectural roadmaps, detailed designs, even down to configuration-level detailed designs, detailed design templates, and implementation templates. So quite a bit of work in the architecture space. On the design space, I have helped to develop and implement both service design for technologies, but also uh, service design methodologies that within organizations to use to decide where they're going, the generation of customer journey maps, the generation of uh, user stories in agile methodology and use cases in more traditional methodologies. So quite a bit of experience doing this. And I, I kind of want to separate the design and the architecture portion. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people out there that disagree with, with my assessment, but in the simplest forms, I believe that architecture is about building a, a framework or a skeletal superstructure that you can attach design work to in such a way that you get the desired outcome. Whereas the design is actually the methodology of how something is done to get an outcome. A design could be, you know, the design of a building to allow people to use it properly or the design of a piece of sculpture to delight people that look at it. Um, design is actually how you do it. The architecture establishes the framework. So if we're building a building, then we have... Uh, there are architectural things that drive us in the framework and how the, the building is built and, and the, a lot of the principles that apply to it, the architectural principles have to do with the, you know, the capability of the materials it's built from, the gravity and the weight 
of the materials and how they hold together. The same can be said for a statue, and the same can be said for technology. So in the simplest form, the architecture provides a framework for how to adapt and develop the technology to be able to give the outcome. Business architecture does the same thing for business. Again, in simplest form, the business architecture forms a framework for how business processes are developed, how business decisions and business roadmaps are taken. The enterprise architecture ties the infrastructure or technology architecture to the business technology or the business architecture or business processes in a way that aligns the technology to an outcome. So at, at its highest level, an enterprise architecture is, is that mapping. It provides a framework. Now, tr in traditional enterprise architecture, the framework is very rigid uh, and very, very detailed. It, it can be, you know, there, there can be very large papers written about enterprise architecture, especially for very complex businesses that have very complex technologies behind them. The reality is, is that today, Technology changes so quickly. So let's talk about the uh, yesteryear. So 20, 30 years ago, technology shifts were slow. The replacement of a mainframe or the replacement of, of, of an enterprise, even a distributed server farm, was, was not something that was done in, in a three-year or even a five-year manner. It was done in a 10 to 15-year manner. But today... Today, even in legacy enterprise organizations, we're in the one to three year technology change. And if the, the organization it may not seem to be changing their technologies in one to three years, but they are. Underlying applications are changing, how they use those applications are changing. The people that they're hiring are coming in and are using their technologies different. So the time frame is getting shorter and shorter and shorter for technology change cloud is actually making it possible that organizations can try and then fail at a particular thing and throw that particular thing away and try something else in days. So in that perspective, we, we can't spend nine months building an enterprise architecture that is detailed enough that it answers all the questions that when we go to, to design work, we don't have to investigate or try anything we can just go to the enterprise architecture and it tells us how we're going to do the things that we should do so where does enterprise architecture sit fundamentally going back to what i originally said i believe that enterprise architecture sits as a framework it provides guidance where guidance makes sense it provides roadmap w within the perspective of the business outcome so if the business outcome is to uh, increase market share, then the enterprise architecture provides a framework for a, a cloud deployment of technologies that will rapidly test, evaluate, either progress into production or throw away technologies that might improve or increase customer engagement. The enterprise architecture might provide some common structures around security. So if you're a public agency, the enterprise architecture might provide some guidance and architectural decisions or principles. Those are two different things I'll talk about in a second that help to guide the design work in such a way that early on the design work can take into account the security requirements. 
if the organization is an enterprise organization that's supporting a large customer base, then the service management portion, how they're going to service their customers, how they're going to respond and react to events that happen that may not be technology outage related, but may be, have to do with the way the customers interact and use the technology, an enterprise architecture can provide guidance for how you take that into account. It doesn't mean that it's so restrictive that you can't experiment on new things, but it helps to provide assessments for if the new things fit. So in other words, if you come up with a new idea, a new design, a new development tact, a new application, and you build that application out and you test it with the public and you're like, wow, this is great, this is a great application. But the application doesn't scale and your customer base is in the hundreds of thousands to million users daily, hourly, even minute by minute, then the if the application didn't take that into account from the beginning and there is no architectural guidance on how to get it from the, uh, the customers really seem to like it in a, a starting point to uh, we have a product that can live in this enterprise size, then you flounder around a lot and you get, this is where you get the original Charles Schwab model where they, the original rollout of online trading, where the, the trading servers fell over within the first hour of them being turned on because they didn't fundamentally understand the scalability of what they needed to have when they went into production. Now, there are ways around this. Hootsuite is especially good at this. Ryan Holmes did an incredible job with bringing a product, managing the stakeholders, in other words, the customers that were using the product. As he brought it to market, he, he managed their expectations by providing them, telling them up front that they were going to have a limited functionality, and, and then that would allow him to grow it and learn as you go along. And that's really good for a startup. But if you're an enterprise organization with an existing customer base, you can try in limited blast radius or limited deployment some functions, but at some point you got to bite the bullet and go much larger. And there are methodologies, red-blue methodologies, continuous uh, integration, continuous deployment methodologies that can be used to do that. But again, an architectural framework can tell you how to do that can help you with some of those decisions, can help you plan how you do that going forward. So that's that's architecture at the highest level. That's uh, enterprise architecture how, and uh, business architecture and very high-level architectural roadmaps. A little bit more on architectural roadmaps. So I'm going to take this from the business side for a second. If your organization has business processes and those business processes are not documented in any way, and how your people work on a day-to-day -day basis um, is, is not documented, at least in some kind of artifact. Now, I'm going to use the term artifact several times, but an artifact is, is a place where we document information about a thing, whether it's business, whether it's technology, whether it's planning. The artifact is the thing that, that where we document it. If, from a business perspective, you have no idea what your people are doing and how they're doing it, then you have no way to design how they're going to do it in the future. A roadmap starts with where you are. If you have no idea where you are, then you can't really plan where it is you're going. 
the current state doesn't have to be detailed to the nth degree. We, you don't, from a business process perspective, you don't need to know what everybody does, you know, as they come into the office and and what their day looks like on day to day and every day of the week of the week or the month or the year. But if you don't have an understanding, at least a starting place understanding of what they're doing, then you can't plan going forward. Now, some people in business would say, well, that's okay. We don't, we don't need to plan to that detail what they're doing. But my question would be, then how do you know where your business is going? So you can, and by the way, a lot of businesses do organically grow. They start off, you know, as a startup company, they start off with a very sporadic, we've just got to get um, sales, we've got to get customers in, and we've got to start generating revenue. But even those startups have business plans. So the business plans is a starting point. Understanding where you're at allows you to at least provide some guidance about where you're going. Again, it's a balancing act. Business architecture is... It, it, like anything else, is a balancing act between providing too much restriction on where you're going and so missing out on, on potential growth opportunities and providing too little and just organically growing in several different directions and the business getting out of hand. Technology architecture is exactly the same way. If you don't know where you're at, if you don't know the technologies, and, and let me assure you, there are people in your organization, no matter how big it is, that do know what technologies you're currently using. By the way, they might not all be in IT. Shadow IT happens when business outcomes from technology can't be realized through the traditional IT department. And so the business goes out and buys IT services without going through the IT department. Now, the challenge with that is, is those technologies don't fit onto any technology roadmap. Remember I said you had to know where you were coming from. If you have business departments that are buying and using technologies that don't appear on any technology roadmap, then there's no way that you can plan how those technologies will grow, how they will be replaced. This is in, in traditional senses, um, traditional being 20 years ago, this was how email servers ended up underneath admin desks because the business wanted an email server, IT didn't, engaging with IT became too difficult and the business went out and bought an email server and stuck it underneath somebody's desk. The problem with that is, is that they're not providing any kind of direction or guidance. Those purchases can't fit into any kind of framework. So even simple things like, well, at least was a risk assessment done on that email server? The answer would be no. The business didn't engage in any kind of technology uh, roadmap or architectural planning. The flip side of that is, is that if IT becomes too restrictive, their frameworks become too restrictive, their, their processes for getting business outcomes becomes too great, that drives businesses to go to shadow IT or to buy IT services outside of the organization. The technology architecture has to be loose enough and a framework enough and easily adoptable enough that the business feels like they can come and get business outcomes within a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable amount of money. And a, a good architectural roadmap has to be developed. Where you don't want to be is seven years 
into a legacy DB2 database where all of your data for your organization sits on this DB2 database, and you have no idea what you're going to do if IBM comes back and says that the DB2 database is end of life. You will be stuck without a roadmap. Your only choice is to follow IBM's roadmap, and IBM you know, is a business and they will tell you to stay on DB2. You have to go to the next version of DB2 and this is what it's going to look like and what it's going to cost. But you're no longer making architectural roadmap decisions. Now, it's just as likely that if you had a roadmap that included a legacy database that you would choose because of architectural reasons to stay on that database going forward. It, you know, it's, it's not saying don't stay on the database methodology that you're using today. It's saying stay on the database methodology you're using or the database platform you're using today for the technology reasons that you've chosen, not because you don't have a roadmap of how to get off of it. So an architectural roadmap has to be part of an enterprise architecture. And it can't be if you don't know what your technology landscape looks like. In other words, if you don't know where you are, if you don't know what technologies are deployed, if you don't know the versions of those technologies, you have no place to start. You can begin building an enterprise architecture based on what you think and the limited of what you know, but you're going to be constantly changing it as you learn and know new things. So that comes back to my kind of differentiated way of looking at enterprise architecture. I believe that the way to start is, is with enterprise architecture is a framework and the simplest framework that you could get. A series of things that you believe the business does that has a technology footprint. Then as you come upon the technology that provides that functionality, the architecture for that one piece can be built. That gives you a starting point. It means that if, as an enterprise architect, if you come in and you want to detailly document everything in an enterprise architecture, you could spend easily 9 to 12 months chasing, finding, documenting, trying to get all the state. Whereas with a framework or just beginning placeholders of the things that you think from a business perspective that you're doing, Within a week, you can have an architectural framework that you can start to fill in as you go forward. What you will find is, is that architectural roadmaps for technologies will change. They can't be written in stone until you understand the entire technology landscape. For example, you may find that the organization is moving into Office 365 or Microsoft 365 if they're doing Azure AD and Exchange Online and the, the wider things. And so you may draw up the roadmap for how Office 365 and the Office 365 products are going to be used going forward. And six months from now, you may find out that the organization is running 20% of their business processes inside Lotus Notes. Well, your architectural roadmap is, is, is now kind of out the window. Or you have to figure out how to uh, transition all of Lotus Notes and all of Lotus Notes databases over to something that can be housed within Office 365. So it's not a rigid set. It's a, it's a set of guidances that help you move forward. Let's take a step downwards. As we step down from architectural frame, the enterprise architecture framework, 
and an architectural roadmap with some kind of technology landscape, we step into the area of, of high-level design. And now we're starting to get into design work. Uh, you know, I, I was trained on IBM Teams. That's where I got my architecture certification. And, it, and I think it's a good starting place. It doesn't have a very good definition of what a high-level design artifact is, but it, it provides some guidance about what a high-level design might look like. And I, God knows I've bastardized this pretty badly. But for the technology, for the implementation or, or the, the building of a technology, there are several questions that you have to ask yourself. And the high-level design artifact needs to answer those questions. The first one is, what is the business outcome that you're getting out of this technology? So in other words, whether that's a user story, whether it's a customer journey, whether it's a use case, however you want to describe it, the high-level design needs to be able to demonstrate that this piece of technology is going to give or help give this, this outcome. And, and the outcome can be very technical or very esoteric in its, in its consideration. It could be this piece of technology is going to allow us to identify someone when they log in. So that might be a use case for um, Active Directory or some other directory service. The second thing is, is that it has to describe that to get that business outcome, what are all of the other technologies that it has to integrate with or touch, whether through a manual process, a business process, or through a piece of technology. So some kind of system context that shows where in the wider architecture does this piece of technology sit. Now that could be as simple as there's this database that sits over here and this piece of technology queries that database through some kind of, let's say it's a SQL database, it queries it through a SQL and gets some kind of SQL answer. It doesn't have to be detailed, it just has to be enough information so that we know that when we get down to the detailed design level, we're going to have to include information about the way that these interact. And then the third piece is that we have to design or we have to describe how the various components fit together within the piece of technology. So we have to do some kind of component diagram that says, okay, for this one piece of technology that we're going to deliver, it's going to have um, a login feature, it's going to have a logging feature, it's gonna have a uh, user tracker feature, it's gonna have a data collection feature. It's, so these are all the pieces that are in there and and some kind of description of what each one does. It doesn't have to be down to a level of telling you how it's doing it, like the detail configuration or the code written to be able to do it, but we need to be able to identify that. So what does that high-level design buy you? Well, one, it tells you all the things that you're going to need to integrate or work with. So that is going to tell you what resources you're going to need outside of the agile sprint that you're in or the project that you're working on it's going to tell you the things that are inside that are the resources that are going to be necessary where you're going to have to build it how you're going to have to build it any requirements that are security requirements any process requirements it it's going to tell you not how to do everything but it's going to tell you who you're going to need to be able to get all those things done in that method that high level design will get you through the door, the, in other words, starting down the path of developing 
whatever this technology is to an implementation state in such a way that you're more likely to be successful. You, you have done a little bit of work ahead of time and you should have some idea of what all this stuff talks to and you should have some idea of what it's doing within the piece and it's and this is key not set in stone so two weeks four weeks six weeks first release candidate six months into a project you find that there was something some requirement some functionality some use case some business process integration that you weren't aware of the high level design should be able to pivot with that it it should you know you should be able to add those to it it should actually be a living artifact the system context or or the component diagram should be a, a living artifact that could be added to if and when it makes sense now the last piece and this is a flow-on effect from architecture and i said i was going to mention this and I, and I haven't gone into detail is is that there are architectural decisions and architectural principles i've really struggled with the difference between these two i've gone back to definitions two or three times in both togaf and IBM Teams, there's equivalent in SAFE. Architectural principles appear to be, these are statements of principle within what it is that we're doing for whatever it is that we're designing. So we, we would like to be in these directions. An architectural decision is you've come to a decision point and you have choices. And the architectural decision has reasons for why, which choice you've chosen. So those architectural principles and architectural decisions, the principles have flow and effects to high-level designs. A lot of the architectural decisions are made as part of the high-level design. So for example, we have a choice of using Active Directory on-premise, Azure AD, or AWS directory services. We've chosen to go with, say, AWS directory services, and here's the reason why. That's an architectural decision. An architectural principle is, is that we should have a centralized identity mechanism that can identify users that use the system. So uh, the architectural principles are usually laid out um, within the framework of the architecture, enterprise architecture or the overall architecture for the organization. The architectural decisions have oftentimes have flow on effects to those other places but are made can be made in the architectural in a high level design for the architecture high level design use cases or user stories or customer journeys yes i'm aware that those are different things there may be some day in the future when i have a service designer interview and we can have a long discussion about the the differences between the three but so something that defines requirements or outcomes for what it is that you're trying to do that and yes i know in a in a very traditional sense, we could literally draw, write functional and non-functional requirements. But for for today and the way technology is changing, the idea of building a requirement, functional and non-functional requirements list is, is becoming uh, very passe. So let's set that aside. High-level template, high-level design template. Use cases, some kind of user story, some kind of business outcome from the technology. A system context that shows all the interconnecting pieces that whatever it is that you're designing needs to have integration with, including business processes, manual processes. Some kind of component diagram that tells you all of the pieces within the design and how they talk to each other and what it is that they do in a very English sense, in other words, a very spoken sense as opposed to a code level sense. 
and architectural decisions. So if, if in the process of either the system context or within the component diagram, you make decisions, then a place where you can document it. And this is a good starting template for high-level design. Now, uh, there are purists in TOGAF and SAFE that will come back and say, you know, uh, those aren't exactly the right definitions. And, and they're right. By their, by their frameworks, they're not the exact definitions. There are also people that will come back and say, no, 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 this is the way you do it. You have to have all these additional pieces that, Sean, that you're not mentioning. And, and they're absolutely right. If you follow a very dogmatic inclusion within the high-level design, they're absolutely right. But this is after, you know, 20 years of doing this, seeing both very ivory tower design and architecture work done, even doing some very strict high-level, detail-level design work for certain companies where the quality assurance cared more about the letter and font style than the outcome, all the way to current practices where I'm doing a lot of agile work where it's more about the outcome and less about uh, the exact shape and structure of what the artifact looks like, I will tell you that this template fits most models and you will get very good outcome out of it. Now let's step down one level. The next level down is the detailed design. Now, detailed design is one of those things that is so dependent, the framework and the structure of a detailed design is so dependent on the technology that you're designing that it's almost impossible to create a template. Within a specific infrastructure or software development methodology or uh, platform, you can build detailed design templates. In fact, uh, for software development, there are very good templates for if you want to build you know, a JavaScript application, here are the things that you need to do and here are the things that you need to answer. There are some general guidelines. All of the things listed in the component uh, diagram in the high-level design, you have to have some detail about those. Detail to the point of may include coding. So how you're going to code it, what it's going to do. Now, I want to be clear. I don't believe that configuration and coding needs to be in a detailed design. In fact, if it's a one-off detailed design and it's never going to be used again and it's a reference point, yeah, okay, it can have coding in it or it could have configuration if we're talking infrastructure uh, designs. But the reality is, is that most detailed designs could have references to implementation templates or to software libraries as to what library they're using, and that's good enough. The things that do need to go into the detailed design are things that are specific to that piece of technology. So if you're doing something, if you're creating a whole bunch of variables and it matters that those variables are known outside of what it is that you're building, then you need to document those within a detailed design. The second thing is, is that you need to detail any design decisions. So we've talked about architectural principles. We've talked about architectural decisions. There are design decisions. So uh, I've had some uh, really in-depth conversations with some service designers, and they like to decide, you know, they like to document the fact that they decided this blue versus that blue. I, I don't necessarily think that detailed design needs to go to that level, but at a design decision, if you decide that you're going to use a particular algorithm, security algorithm, to encrypt the data that you're using 
at rest or in flight, you need to document that. That's going to be necessary. And by the way, you may have a security requirement or you may have a uh, use case that, that demands that decision. And documenting that decision based on that use case or security requirement is a good thing to have in the detailed design. The last thing is, is that you need to be able to describe the components at least in enough detail with enough information about, if not the configuration and the, the coding, but at least references to where the configuration coding live, that someone can come behind you and can continue your work or duplicate your work. So in other words, uh, for software development, the design might say, and the code is stored in GitHub at this location. So I'm not going to put the code into the detailed design, but I'm going to say for this Java component that's built, the code is stored within this GitHub repository, and the design may not change while the code constantly changes. But we create a new module, and that new module is doing something within the software. We add something to the detailed design that talks about that new module. In an infrastructure architecture perspective, it might be the detailed design might be, and here is the implementation templates that are used to deploy this switch or this physical server. So those are examples of a detailed design. Like I said, detailed design templates, much more difficult. High-level design templates, pretty straightforward. You can apply the, the methodology that I talked about for the high-level design template pretty much across any technology implementation and business development as well. So you could theoretically say that this business process has these outcomes, use cases, has this system context. So this business process talks to these other business processes or technologies or people. A component diagram. So this business process has all of these business steps in it. And there are certain architectural decisions that we've made around this business process to identify it. So business architecture, you could have a business process high-level design to show how it works. So the high-level design is very flexible and, and works should work fairly well um, with what you're using. Going up again, the architecture roadmap and the technology landscape. I have been interacting with business architects and the business in a business architecture standpoint for about the last three years on my way to getting my MBA as, it's, as we speak. Business is much more about people talking and interacting. And that's oftentimes not documented the same way. And I think that because of that, business is much more organic in how it goes. There are lots of business plans and people write up business plans and they have business direction that they want to go. And sometimes they skip over this idea of a business framework. And for a very fast moving, pivoting business, that makes a lot of sense. For a large enterprise business, they might benefit from seeing where those business processes and those organic changes are pivoting. So uh, again, I, I'm not again I'm not a, one of those people who believes that you have to do this 100%, but I, I do believe that there is benefit to it. And architectural roadmaps or directions that where you're going, business roadmaps, business process roadmaps, those things are valuable whether you're talking about business or technology. They are fundamental for technology, though. If you do not do these things, it does not mean that you are not going to, your technology isn't going to change and grow. What it means is, is that your technology decisions will be very siloed. They will be organic growth. 
you will find it more and more difficult to do anything but keep the lights on within your technology space. Without some kind of guidance, even light guidance, you will find that very rapidly the technology will get out of hand. And as the development cycle for new technologies gets shorter and shorter, as new technologies come online, as quantum computing and AI come online, if you don't have at least some architectural principles and some kind of framework with a roadmap that shows your technology landscape where it is and where you want to go, and some kind of rough sketch about how to get there, you are going to find yourself disrupted out of a business. Uh, I have watched organizations flounder and fall apart because of this. And the reality is, is that you will have an event and you will either decide to step up and fund the work necessary to fix the event or you will be disrupted by an external organization. Well, so I rambled quite a bit. I got really deep on architecture and design. I'm sure I will lose some people in that. Again, I'm very passionate about architecture and design. I see a massive value to businesses and organizations. If you're in the technology space, you need to be thinking about where you fit within the design and architecture. I know a lot of startups that just like to get on with the business of doing it and they don't necessarily see the uh, value in architecture. And, and again, if you're just experimenting, the architecture should just be sitting in the background as something that needs to be thought about, but not too heavily invested. If you're just experimenting, just understand the wider landscape of, of what you're experimenting in. But eventually, as you move towards productionization of things, you have to understand where that fits within the wider technology landscape. And in that same vein, if you are in a greenfield environment, so you have no technology deployed, that's the perfect time to start with an architectural framework. Because, and, and again, it's it doesn't have to be carved in stone. It can be just a framework that helps you make decisions because... If you're a successful business two, three years down the road, if you started with a light architecture that helped you make decisions and move in the right direction, you're not going to be having to do a massive technology investment because you will have made good decisions early on. If anybody would like to reach out to me about either architecture or design work, I'm always open for longer conversations. If you're in New Zealand, ping me and we can go grab a coffee and talk about it. And I do believe that in this day and age, with the rapid development technology, architecture and design is even more important than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were investing, you know, one to three million dollars every five to 10 years to replace some piece of technology. We're moving so fast now that if organizations will rise and fall and fall apart if they don't have at least some idea or guidance or direction of where they're going. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you so much for the feedback. I don't, I don't know how to express my gratitude great enough for that and, and allowing me to keep going forward. I will be back next week with another podcast. You guys have a good day. Thank you very much.